Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Play ball! It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everyone. While players and owners battle with each other over the possibility of playing baseball in 2020, the future of the sport has already been greatly affected by the coronavirus pandemic. As part of the agreement signed in March, the first-year player draft will be reduced from 40 rounds to just five. It takes place next week. Only up to $100,000 of a signing bonus will be paid directly with the rest deferred. After five rounds, players will have the opportunity to sign as undrafted free agents with a maximum bonus of $20,000. Next year's draft will also be reduced to 20 rounds. All of this in an effort by major league clubs to cut expenses in the wake of this pandemic. But the effects have multiple layers that affect not just the minor leagues, but high school and college players as well. And then there's the effect on the major league quality of play, which isn't an immediate one, but the development curve is drastically affected for players that enter this year's draft and players in the low minors that were recently drafted, all of them working without a minor league season, most likely in 2020. To discuss all the issues surrounding the upcoming draft and more, I spoke with Yankees Vice President of Domestic Amateur Scouting, Damon Oppenheimer. Damon began scouting in 1988, has been with the Yankees nearly 30 years, and has run the Yankees draft since 2005. In 2018, he received a Scout of the Year Award at the Winter Meetings and was honored in 2019 with a Lifetime Achievement in Scouting Award. He's one of the most respected men in Major League Baseball with respect to amateur scouting. Here is my conversation with Damon Oppenheimer. Damon, first thing I want to ask you is, is five rounds of a draft a good idea? Was there a better alternative that you could have done given all the circumstances this year? Um, I think that, that it was up for debate between between the Players Association and owners and things like the, the different sides. And I think that there was, you know, the hope, I think, on the scouting side that it would be a, you know, a 10-round draft at the, you know, at the, at the minimum just because uh, there's so many kids that are involved and it affects pool money and things, uh, things like that. So, um, we all thought that the, I know on the scouting side, talking to other directors and, and scouts in the field and, and college coaches, even that we, we thought that it would be, you know, uh, with the situation, it would be a good idea to have a 10 round draft in this year because we're going right back next year to a 20 round draft. Right. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of trickle down here and I want to get to that, but, um, 
you usually spend February to May, you and all your scouts, you're you're going all over the country and trying to see as many players as you can and, and make all your evaluations. What are you doing now instead of flying all over the country to watch games? What have the last three months, three months been like? Well, it sure has been unique, that's for <laughs> sure. I mean, this is, you know, been scouting since 1988, and it's been... You know, just a life of, of being on the road. And especially this time of the year, it was always on the road. And, you know, you're looking at 250 nights a year. So you were, you were always out there doing, doing the evaluating by watching guys play live and then supplementing it with video. Um, this year, you know, that got all shut down. So basically, it was going back on the reports that we had had from the summer, back on the reports that we had had on the fall, going to the synergy video that we have from all these games, just watching, you know, at bats and innings pitched, and and then trying to fact, you know, find fielding um, video, and just doing that all by video has been a completely unique situation to us. I think it's. I think we've learned some things. I think we've. We can we can use some of this that we've learned during this time to to enhance what we see with our eyes once this opens up again at some point. But it's definitely been been unique. And then on top of that, we are usually meeting with players face to face and having meetings and you know talking to the college coaches and talking to coaches in general in face to face meetings. And then this year we've become semi-experts in zoom calls hmm. and that's been quite a quite a change but it's been it's been fun uh, it's been that, that part's been kind of neat to the players seem to have a a real comfort level of having these zoom calls and talking to you and, and you really become uh, a little bit more i guess it's i don't know it's they just it's just like where they're they their comfort level in today's world of looking at devices and talking on devices seems to be easier for them and probably uh, probably just something that they really can enjoy better than the face-to-face. Do do the older scouts maybe, you know, maybe they're challenged a little bit by all the technological stuff that you're talking about, but do they have a little bit of an advantage in the idea that, you know, they – can go back to the, what they saw from a player a year ago and not necessarily be tied to the video. They're they're able to make maybe some evaluations from what they saw in person since nobody's seeing them in person now. Is there is there anything to that? I think what that some of the veteran scouts are able to do is they're usually able to, you know, kind of hold on to to what their evaluation was on a player when they saw him uh six months ago, seven months ago, and they, and they feel comfortable with that because they have such a library of players to, in, to compare that to, uh, in their past. So I think that, I think a lot of them do have that confidence to, to where they're going to say, I know what I saw. I can see where this guy was going. That's generally what I'm doing anyway is projecting. So I feel good about where this was going to take me, even though, I only saw him throw a bullpen in January, or I only saw him, you know, play one game in February. Um, I saw where I saw the right direction that this was going. So, I do think there's some some stuff that that can be that the older guy that, that's been doing this a while can can really bring to the table during this period. 
Listen, everybody's in the same boat, but is does it sound like a like a hard task, an impossible task to try and grade and draft players that you haven't seen play all year? Um, yeah, I mean it is hard. There, there's no question that we'd be we'd be better if we had more looks. There's no question that we would have more comfort level um, by by being at the ballpark. You just can't. That, that's the stuff that you just can't um, really take away. I mean, you take that you take that part away, and, it, and, it, and it's really it's really a large portion of what you see from a player and how he interacts with people. And you know, no matter how much video you have in the amateur world, you don't have great video on defensive things, first movement, where they're going before the pitch is thrown. Um, you know, your, your angles aren't always the same. You're your view of the player, just when he's, just his reaction to things, it's not the same. Um, even trying to time guys down the line on video, when it changes from one camera shot to another camera shot, it's it's not necessarily the uh, the normal time that you would get if you were doing it, you know, live. So it's a real challenge. It is. It's definitely a real challenge, um, and. We're just trying to do the best we can, obviously, with uh, with the information that we have, and trying to create as much as much information as possible. Whether it's getting, you know, more video, and the data really hasn't changed, so it's just more video and more knowledge of the player. That's that's about the only way we're able to enhance what we what we can do. Damon, the kids from the Northeast have always seemed to suffer a little bit because. You know they they don't play in as many optimal weather games as kids from Florida and California, and even in a year like this, you know they never really got their seasons going when people in these other areas at least got some action of some kind that you could scout. So, uh, are the kids from the Northeast and tough weather environments are they suffering an extra penalty this year because of that? I don't think they. It, it, well, it's unique. It's a, it's an interesting it's interesting because some of the kids from the Northeast that really came out of the summer and the fall real well, where people were like, I saw that guy very real well. Um, you know, I don't have many questions. I want to see him next year when he's healthy. You know, I, I don't. I, I think this guy's going to go high. Um, I actually it. it the, the, I don't think there's as many questions that people will really, really have on those guys um, if they feel that they had that comfort level from the summer. Now, that being said, you know, we, we would like to make sure if somebody wasn't completely healthy at the end of the summer, hey, what were they doing? Um, how, how, how do they look this spring? Have they gotten stronger? Um, so some of so getting back to it, some of those guys, it's not going to hurt a lot because they actually didn't come out and have any any chance of failing in the spring where we've had some guys that were in the warm weather states that got scouted and didn't come out of the shoot real good and it probably it probably hurts them mm-hmm. that they didn't perform very well in front of scouts and that's what the, that's what people are remembering so the the ones that it it's going to affect in the northeast are the guys that were probably the projection guys that were you, you were expecting them to come go this fall, get stronger, develop a little bit more into men, come out this spring, and by the end of their spring, maybe they would really 
continued to develop from the beginning of the spring to the end of the spring, and you know the velocity has gotten creeped up. Uh, speed got better as it, as it, things got warmer. Just things like that. So I, I would say, you know, it's a long answer, but some of them are going to be affected. Some of them aren't. Um, and then some of the guys that got seen in the south are going to be affected negatively too because they just didn't get time to get get themselves going in the right direction. You mentioned injury, and I'm curious how concerned you are about getting honest medical information at this point. I mean, you know, you can see players in games, and if they're if they're not playing, you know, you know why. Or or these guys maybe are working out on their own, and maybe they get hurt, and there's nobody to report it to, and they're trying to work their way through this. As you're trying to evaluate, how much of a hurdle is the idea of trying to get real, up-to-date, and honest medical information? Uh, it, it is a hurdle. I mean, and it's something that we, we've, we've talked about. And then, you know, you're so restricted in what you can do um, with getting information from kids because you can't go out and watch them. You can't go out and meet with them. So you don't know what they're doing. You don't know if they've thrown uh, a bullpen or something of that nature and it didn't go well so they don't post it on their social media account or they don't put it into the major league baseball portal um so you know we all see the ones on on twitter and we all see the ones on (laughs) social media that are really good but you know the ones that aren't you know uh, i wouldn't post it either (laughs) so you don't really know um so it's it it is a concern i mean uh, i guess the one the the thing that you have to you can you fall back on at least in our in our situation is that hey if somebody comes in and they fail their physical in the first or you know we only have the, the three picks so the first round or the third round and the physical isn't right and they haven't disclosed something then you know what we'll get the we'll we'll get the pick next year and we'll run this all over again but you really we're really trying to get honest answers from people and. You know, there's a lot of good guys in the game that are, that, you know, represent these players that they don't want to see us get burned either. So I, I don't think that anybody, I think there's probably, you know, a little bit of stuff that my people would try to hide. But I think in general, most of them are going to be as as up to, up to, you know, honest as they can. So how long has it been since you had your board ready for this draft did you start creating it the second last year's draft ended uh and what kinds of things have caused players to move up or down is it something as simple as seeing something extraordinary on a social media feed or the portal that you talked about conversations that you've had with people about you know just figuring out what their makeup is and what their situation is how have guys moved up and down off of your board or around your board i guess is a better way to say in the last couple of months well, I mean, it, it, we as soon as this, as soon as we kind of basically got shut down and were told that we couldn't go out and we couldn't scout anymore, um, we started putting we started putting the board together in a little more of a firm way. It wasn't, you know, it was we, we keep a board going the whole year. We started after after the draft last year we run it through and it's really kind of loose and it's, and it trying to give guys a chance to get, to get better and solidify their, their spots. And so we have that to work with. And then as this thing 
blew up on us, and now we're, we're sitting there going, okay, we don't have any more games to go scout. We're not going to have any more information coming in that that way. Now we have to put our board and solidify this thing and tighten it up. And so we took, we we approached it like we would a regular draft. We just moved everything up. We we had our area scout meetings where the scouts, you know, we gave them time to get all their reports in that they were probably sitting on a little bit because they thought they'd see guys more. Uh, we gave them time to have some conference calls or calls with their with the players to get a general idea on uh, to uh, on makeup a little bit better. Uh, and then we had these meetings, and so we approached it like we were going to have a, a ten round draft and talk about guys that you would consider for ten round draft and. We met with each one, so that was each scout. So it was a, a week's long worth of meetings to to put the, to go over each one of their players, fine tooth comb, talk about their makeup, talk about you know where they come from, what kind of year they had, all of that stuff. We we get we get pretty deep, watch video, and then after that was over, you know we had the cross checkers, we we had meetings with the cross checkers via Zoom. Uh, a lot of zoom we we're pretty zoomy so now <laughs> we got that we got that going for us and then we worked on different lists so you'd ask the pitching cross checkers to hey let's put these guys in order work together so we, we refined that list we refined the position player list and then we've kind of put it together and blended it and now we're in a situation now where where it's in pretty good shape, and the only thing it's going to get, you know, massaged a little bit will be any late information that comes in that that uh, you know on somebody's health or that we see some, you know, we get a little bit more video on somebody or we get um, a little uh, another crack at their uh, Zoom with their with their makeup. Uh, any concerns like that or it's in pretty good shape right now but it it always has a little chance to move around a little bit so baseball scouts and school teachers are the zoom experts we need to be kind of tapping into if we need help huh <laughs> yeah i guess that we're uh besides besides baseball we finally learned that we have to do something else to be, <laughs> be an expert at something else <laughs> um you mentioned makeup a couple of times and i remember a few years ago uh, you had sent a, a picture or, or posted it in your draft room of, I, th- I guess it was a guy from the Bruins. It was a hockey player who was finishing a shift with a broken leg, and it said, this is the kind of makeup we're looking for. And I want to know how looking for makeup, which is such a valuable exercise in every draft year for you, how has that been compromised as you're trying to do it in Zoom meetings instead of face-to-face meetings with parents and kids and teachers and coaches and whoever else you happen to uh, try to use to evaluate that? I, I think that, you know, we always we always thought that, that you had to do everything face-to-face. And, you know, that, it, that and, and I still think that it's probably the best way of doing things, but I, I, I think that we're able to do, we're able to get pretty darn close with these, with the makeup things, with the Zoom. I don't think it's it's quite 100% like it would be if we were face-to-face with everybody, but in terms of moving forward and we learn how to do the Zoom calls, I think that we're 
with the, the cost, the savings of travel mm-hmm. on travel that that, that it's it probably turns out to be fairly uh, fairly even way of, of trading it out. Um, you know, so I think that 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 part about the makeup we we still have, you know, Chad Bowling and and Lauren Johnson and Chris Passarella that are that are on our mental conditioning staff and and they had done so many of these meetings from starting last summer that we were ahead of the game. We try to get a lot of these meetings done in the fall. We get them done in the summer. We get them done before these kids really get deep into their into their seasons and and then we so so we don't have to be bothering them during their during their spring season. But with this year, the way it was, it was like I was able to meet probably more, definitely more players than I have in the past. Uh, it's the same thing. Scott Lovecamp, our pitching, our main pitching uh, analyst, was able to to spend a lot of time getting to meet these guys. We've incorporated player development people. Sam Breen, who's our, you know, director of pitching, has been involved in meeting with some of these, some of the players that, you know, we think could trickle to us. Um, and we've showed these guys so many things about, you know, the a peek behind the, uh, the curtain of the New York Yankees player development. This we've put together these unbelievable videos that that show the player a little bit about himself and what we think about him, and then all sorts of every detail of the minor leagues, uh, the Yankees. So they so they learn a lot. So we're learning a lot by showing them and and. And teaching them, and then they they're able to to tell us a lot about themselves, and we're learn learn about their makeup through 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 these things. And and I've been doing this long enough, and and with enough where where you can where you you know it's not perfect, but you're able to tell when you when you really have a good makeup guy, and you're also you know who's prepared for the meeting, who came into this with good questions, and I think that that's a that's the stuff that sticks out to you, and you know the the Gregory Campbells of the world of the Boston Bruins that hmm. you know come off the ice with their with a broken leg. You know, I mean, and that that's hard for us to see on a, on a Zoom call, but you know we do our best work. We try to do our best work in the in the summer and the and the fall to to see that, and then have just dialogue with coaches to say who are your warriors, who are your grinders. You know, that's the kind of guy. So, yeah. It's quite a challenge, though, this way. So uh, there is now a huge pool of undrafted players. How and when does the recruiting of those guys start? Well, I mean, we, we've approached a lot of players already at this point, and like like they're all like they're going to be drafts, and to to hopefully that you know. And I've told them, I said, listen, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know who's going to get taken. We're only getting we're only going to be able to take three players. Um, so somebody's going to get left out, but you know, there are, there, there is a chance that, that if you get drafted by somebody else, you know, God bless you. And I'm happy for you. And I, and I hope it works out, but if you're not, and you know, there, and you have interest, um, we'd like you, we'd like you to understand what the Yankees are all about before that time ever comes. So, you know that's what that's why we've spent so much time on these individual meetings and these these calls to the players and we've shown them these these documents that we've put together and and these these presentations about about Yankee minor leagues, Yankee major leagues and Yankee player development that hopefully if you know 
I'm sure they'll be disappointed that they didn't get drafted, but once they get over that and the 48-hour rule or 48 hours is, expires from after the draft to when you can sign them, they, they might have had uh, that time where they can go, you know what, the Yankees really look like they're a good fit. They really look like they take care of their guys, and they made a great impression on me. And you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to start my career now, and that's who I want to go with. So is that a is that a dark period for 48 hours, or is that time spent recruiting by you and every other organization? Yeah. No, we can't talk to them. Okay, There's a, it's a it's a it's an it's something for this year where for 48 hours you can't talk to anybody that you didn't select. So, and during that 48 hours, a player can basically opt out he can notify major league baseball that he does not want to be considered to be signed as a passed over player. And then we will get notification of that. So you won't be bugging somebody, but once he opts out, you know, he, he, he can't, he won't be able to do any, won't be able to be signed again until the following draft. Okay. Uh, this is a weird question and I don't know, you know, how you want to answer this best way you can. There, any player you sign who isn't drafted, the max bonus a, a guy can get is twenty thousand dollars. Is that a lot of money? I mean, when you're talking about guys who are between, say, round six on up to forty or undrafted, um, I know sometimes because you have the large pool, the uh, the amount you can use for a player that's you know say in round eight or ten can shift because of what's available in the pool. But for a player who's a good player who expected to get drafted this year and isn't, and his only way into professional baseball is by signing in this window that starts 48 hours later, is $20,000 a lot? Well, you know what? I think it's obviously that's per individual, and it's per um, what what's going on in, in their life and what they want to do. Um, if it's if $20,000 is... is if that's what they want to sign for, if they don't want to sign for that, then then they can wait till next year and, and try to run through this again when we have more rounds. They mm-hmm. can, um, or they can say, "Hey, look, it's time to start." I, I you know, I am, it's in, it's a small it's a small portion that I'm going to have to deal with, but I'm looking at the end of the rainbow and thinking that my money's going to come in the major leagues, and um, I, I would have to think that that's the way that player has to approach it. They, they can't approach it like, hey, I'm going to be able to live off the $20,000 and, and go from there. That's that's for sure. It's just going to be, you know, here's my opportunity. Um, I'm ready to take this. I'm ready to take this chance. I'm, I'm done with school or I'm close to being done with school. And, and one thing you got to remember, Sweeney, is not all these guys, and I, I, I'd say less than 5% of them are on some sort of, full scholarship right so the idea that we can give them twenty thousand dollars and pay for school might be more attractive than somebody who's going to a you know an expensive college who's getting you know 25 percent on a on an eighty thousand dollar bill and then all of a sudden we're able to say you know what we're, we'll take care of the college part of it and the twenty thousand right. that, that becomes attractive to somebody um you know, as a as a father and stuff who has three kids that are, I, I know how expensive that can be, <laughs> and 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 it's uh, so, you know, it, it might be an attractive situation for somebody who's got a 
goes to an expensive college and, and gets little to no financial assistance. What are you hearing from college coaches, and what's the trickle down of college juniors who decide, okay, like you said, they want to gamble on next year's draft and come back for their senior year? It's created quite a logjam. What are you hearing from the coaches in that regard? Um, I think some of them are, some of them are, are, are happy that they're going to get so many of their kids back because they were in a situation that it was it was a good year for them. Um, some of them it's put into a pickle because their university that they're at has already told them it's like listen we can they can say what they want but we're going we have 11.7 scholarships and that's all we can afford mm-hmm. you know we're, we're we can't do if they're giving us leeway to bring seniors back the university's baseball program cannot afford to do that so somebody's going to have to go you know whether it's the the senior is not going to get any scholarship money. Yeah, you can come back, but there's no money. Mm-hmm. Or the fr- freshman who was coming in, that's like, yeah, you know, you can come in, but, you know, the shortstop that you, you thought you were going to replace, he's coming back now. So so there is a big logjam on this thing that's, that's affecting, it's going to affect everybody. And I think that it's some of the colleges will benefit from having a veteran team. That, and that, that can afford it and have a bigger roster and, and, and do pretty well. And I think some of the other ones are going to be hurting. And we've already seen um, Bowling Green. We've seen Furman. We've seen uh, there's talk of somebody else that they've already canceled their programs, you know, that mm-hmm. baseball's done at, their, at, at the D1 level at these places. Well, and I'm, and I'm guessing this isn't just a, a one-year thing. I mean, the, the logjam here could last for a while. I mean, if you're talking about, uh, say, revenue sports that have to fund an entire athletic program and football starts in the fall without fans in the stands, that's a big hit for the entire athletic program heading into next year and perhaps the year after that. Yeah, I, I would think that there's very few – you know, D1 college, D1 baseball uh, schools that, that are self-supportive. You know, there, there's definitely some that are, and those they've done a great job with their fan base, and they've done unbelievable work, and they're fun places to go visit uh, and watch. But there's so many other ones that are reliant on football, you know. Mm-hmm. So if, if you don't have football and and you know, there is going to be some problems with a lot of sports and baseball included. So I know, I know that there's some talk out there um, about, you know, pushing the baseball season to a later spring, uh, which would eliminate a lot of the Northern teams having to travel South and fly South a lot to, to get their games in against competition. Uh, you know, they could play more home games that it would warm up a little bit more for them to play more home games and the, and yeah, the players would stay till after graduation, but that that cost would be, you know, uh, that cost would be it would be less than it would be to fly them every weekend down south in February and early March to play, you know, to play baseball games um, mm-hmm. and and have no home revenue. So it's an interesting concept that I think you know people are starting to look at, and that you know maybe it gets some legs. 
Every year there are high school players that, you know, you're very honest with them and tell them, listen, you're going to be better off by going to college. Uh, you're going to get better as a player and this and that, and we'll see you in a few years. Uh, does that part become a little harder for the high school player now if there's a logjam at the college level and it's not simply a one-year thing? There's a couple of years' worth of, of you know, drafts and things like that before that can reset? Does the high school player get – does the mid-range high school player, maybe the one that's not good enough to play professionally right now, is that the guy that gets hurt or squeezed out here? You know, I, I don't know if it's going to be – I think that everything's going to still be about competition. And yeah, that some guys are offered that opportunity to, to go to some big places, uh, big colleges and some of those opportunities that they've had, they, they, they stick with them and, and the college stays with them. And so that, that, you know, they, they, those kids will get that chance to, to, to grow there. I think possibly what you could see is you could see an influx at the, uh, in the in the south, you know, especially in the Floridas and the and the Californias and the Texases, where some kids decide, you know what, it's not looking good. I'm going to go to junior college for a year. I'm going to go to junior college for two years and play there, mm. and see how it goes, and then see what opens up. Or you can see some guys going to some some schools that they, you know, had not not the SEC or not the not the PAC schools or something, and and possibly those other other colleges benefit from some of these guys showing up there and being able to play. There's an effect here that's not just on this year's draft, but the players that you've drafted recently. I know how, you know, how much you keep up with the guys after you draft them and kind of watch their progress. How concerned are you about the development curve for the recently drafted players without minor league baseball this year i'm looking at you know just as an example anthony volpe was your first round pick last year and he got 150 plate appearances and that means he'll have 150 plate appearances over the course of his first two professional years and you're going to have guys who get into the professional ranks this year that don't have the competition to be able to get even that many plate appearances this year or innings if you're a pitcher how how concerned are you about these guys, whether it's the guys who have just been drafted the last few years or the ones coming in, just the idea that not having minor league baseball at all could really impact their development? You know, I, I mean, it's really, really tough because you sit there and you and you know that game experience is second to none. We, we're doing a heck of a job here. And developing skills and developing tools and we've got some great player development people and we've got all the analysts and we've got all of the technology there is and it's helping kids get better but playing the game of baseball and learning um, uh, in front of crowds and in front of with pressure uh, is you can't replicate that, and that's the part to me that that is going to be that's going to be a little bit scary, you know. And, you, and, you, and everybody's in the same boat. I mean, there's there's nobody else's in it, you know. Just like the draft, we're all in the same boat, mm-hmm. but it still isn't the it is does not help the kid, and it's not like you can go somewhere else and do it, you know. I mean, it, you're not going to get to play 
more baseball in college. You're not going to get to go play, you know, more baseball somewhere else. So, you know, we're just all sitting there going, get this, let's get to back where these guys can compete. <clears throat> and some of them, you know, that's, that's their deal. I mean, they are, they're all about the compete and they can't, it, it's got, it's just got to be driving them nuts. Yeah. Uh, I want to switch gears with you for a moment, Damon, uh, back in March when things first shut down, uh, a couple of Yankee minor leaguers were the first ones to publicly be known that they tested positive and uh, they had to be quarantined. And a lot, all of your minor leaguers, before people got sent home into different corners, were were quarantined in their in their facility. A group of personnel with the Yankees had to deliver food to them every day, and you were one of them. What was the experience like of going door-to-door to these guys and, and making sure they're okay and seeing these young kids who are from all over and they had the idea that they were going to be in Tampa for spring training and then starting their season, and things kind of, you know, the rest of us got to go home to our own homes, and they didn't. What was your experience like with these guys, seeing them on a daily basis and how they handle it? Uh, you know what? I got I got to give it to the kids. They they really handled it well. They were very appreciative. They were very polite. Uh, we they I think that they really realized that how well we were taking care of them um, and watching out for them, and that you know people came from the general manager to you know the farm director to to myself to you know, other people, the training staff, you know, we were here for those guys. And I think that we preach that uh, when, when we go to sign players that, you know, we actually care about you. And I think we showed it uh, and the Steinbrenner showed it by the, the meals that they were preparing. I mean, it was, I mean, we'd give out a breakfast, lunch and a dinner that, you know, heck, I, I, I'd take one home once in a while because <laughs> it was so good. And you're just like, yeah. I'm going to, we had an extra one. That'll be great. You know, and it was, I think it was, you, you developed a little bit more of a bond with the kids too. I mean, a lot of times we see these guys just as in their baseball world and it's, you know, Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. Blah, blah, blah. You know, a little bit of that. But in this one, it was like, we were all in this, you know, kind of in this boat together and we were all battling something together. Uh, and I think that they looked at you more like, you know, you're not the scouting director, you're Damon, you know, and, and you're not the baseball player, you're, you're Anthony, you know, I mean, it was, you know, stuff like that, and you know, bring my dog down there and he'd, they'd, they'd play with him, you know, so I think, I think we just, we all kind of bonded a little bit together, and then even more on the, you know, the international kids who I don't know often about, often much about, and then they'd see your face on a daily basis, and you were the guy that was handing them their their food, and yeah, you, you know that they that they understood a little bit more that you do care about. So I, I you know, we did the best we could with that. I think it was it was a experience that I'm glad, you know, under the circumstances, I'm glad that you know I was able to do. Damon, last thing here in early March, uh, Kelly Rodman lost her battle with cancer. She was a scout in the Yankee organization for for only a few years, but her impact was was pretty powerful. Uh, I know the Yes Network did a feature on her that got some uh, some pub again later on social media uh, shortly after she passed. Um, what can you tell people about the impact she had? on the players that she saw and the people in your organization to the point where you, you named an award after her that you're going to get about 
every single year. Um, you know, she wasn't with your organization for a long period of time. What can you tell people about the impact she made? Yeah, you know, it was crushing um, to, to lose Kelly. I mean, Kelly was somebody who I probably know that I didn't appreciate well enough when it first started, when she first started working for it, for us. Um, and as, as, as I slowly, slowly got to know her and watched her work and watched her talk to her and looked at her reports, you we were like, I really have something special here. And the Yankees really have somebody special that makes an impact in, in the Northeast. She makes an impact with families. She makes an impact with players. Um, she cared so much about everybody else that she didn't even want people to know how bad it was that was going on with her, with her cancer. Um, but, you know, getting back to her a little bit, she was, she was just such a good baseball person, you know, I mean, in terms of, you hear that term a lot, that guy's a, he's a good baseball, but she was just so smart when it came to uh, knowing players, scouting players, uh, writing reports, her, and then just the impact that she would have in the house um, because she was a female that you, that, that the, the mothers would be, you know, so, receptive to, to listening to her side of what the Yankees were about. She was incredible. And it's just, it's just, it's just unbelievably sad that we in the Yankees, we in baseball and we in this world would lose somebody, you know, like her who was so giving and she didn't want anything back. She didn't want to be, she didn't want to be a scout because she was a woman. She didn't think she deserved to be anything because of anything but her pure ability to do a good job. And she made these coins out that when she knew she was dying, and it was like one side of it, it says, be great today. And the other side of it says, thank you from Kelly that she had had that you're just like, you know, you, I keep it with me every day, you know, grab my wallet, grab my money, grab my keys and my grab my coin. And it's and it's there for you to think, you know, if you ever think you have something, you're having a rough day, or it's, you know, not going good, you just grab that coin and you remember Kelly. And it was the she was great, you know. I mean, it's just—it's a huge blow to our organization. It's a huge blow to baseball in the Northeast. My thanks to Damon Oppenheimer for sharing his insights on the upcoming MLB draft. The five-round draft will be held next week, and hopefully by then, the parties involved can make enough progress to have a real baseball season on the horizon. If you're new here, please check out the 30 with Murdy archive at radio.com or Apple Podcasts. Check out recent conversations with Hall of Famer Joe Torre, Saturday Night Live director Don Roy King, and Ricky Cobb, the brains behind the Super 70s Sports Twitter account. When you get to the archive, make sure to subscribe and review and all that jazz. As always, please continue to stay safe. And until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.